Let's open up our Bibles to, to Genesis 16 is the portion that we'll be looking at this evening with the help of our Lord. Sweet. All right, let's uh, read the portion for tonight. We're going to read the whole chapter, so it's, it's quite a lengthy, lengthy text that we get to read, but I uh, pray that God will bless us through it. Uh, so Genesis chapter 16, and the word of God says this, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her at a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the world was called Bir Leha Roy. I'm pretty sure I'm not pronouncing that right. <laughs> it, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham or Abraham. Let's leave it there for now. Uh, wow, what a portion to start with. This is an intense thing. And uh, much like in anything, I think uh, it's, it's pretty obvious to say that life can get pretty messy, it can get really complex. 
Um, you know, when I was growing up, I, was, I always would watch these kind of TV shows and stuff that dealt with family issues. And, you know, when we, we grow up in our, in our Hispanic uh, family, sometimes there are conflicts and issues that we face. And I'm sure it's not just a Hispanic thing, but just in general, when you grow up, you encounter problems and issues. And something that I quickly picked up as I was growing up, comparing my life and my life situation and my family situation was that... The way we dealt with issues was not exactly the way they were dealt in my favorite TV shows, right? Like it was never like that. It wasn't like where you would, uh, you know, it, there was a conflict and then they kind of resolve it and they laugh about it at the end and then they roll credits or they'll do like a freeze frame and bang, next episode and it's new uh, obstacles, new issues that they have to face. Uh, I don't know, like that's the type of TV shows that I grew up with. Now it's like the Kardashians, but there's the similar thing, right? Where they call that reality TV, where they resolve the issue and you know, next episode it's, it's like all good and dandy or whatever. And life isn't like that where, you know, like you resolve an issue and, and it's, it's over and dusted with. Sometimes you carry those, those pains. Sometimes life is really messy. Sometimes you, you go through some struggles. Sometimes you're affected by those whom you love, by those whom we call family. And, and those pains sometimes don't carry, you know, they carry on to the next day. It's not like, you know, there's a freeze frame and we've resolved the issue and then we can move on from there. It's, it's, it's messy. It can get complicated it can get very painful at times and and we're looking at abraham's life right now his family situation in chapter 16 we clearly see that his family situation is a mess right now things have just like i'm always you know thinking of, of memes when i think of this it's just like that escalated quickly is the one that comes to mind right now but seriously just like how did we get to this point like when we read chapter 16 it's just like what is going on? Like, for real, it, it seems like a, a soap opera right now in the life of Abraham, where things are just going haywire. What is going on in the life of Abraham? Especially when you're comparing chapter 16, which is what we've just read, with chapter 15, with, with what we just finished up. Like, if you look at chapter 15, the blessing that Abraham was going through at that time was amazing. He, he just had an encounter, another encounter with God. He just entered into this covenant relationship with God. And, and we saw all the blessings that came with that. You know, if you recall, we saw that that last time in chapter 15, that Abraham goes into this, what is referred to as a suzerain vassal agreement um, between Abraham and, and God. And essentially, you know, if, if you remember that, like even that was a little bit full on where, you know, the animals are slaughtered and you have to go through those slaughtered animals. But it wasn't Abraham that goes through it. It was God that goes through that taking the responsibility of that. And we're just like amazed at, at, at the love of God in that. We see the grace of God in that covenant relationship. And so Abraham is on this high, like he just had an encounter with God. He's just reaffirmed the promise once again in the life of Abraham. And then we come to chapter 16 and we're like, what is going on? But that's life, isn't it? That's what we go through sometimes. And it's something that we've constantly been seeing in the life of Abraham, where we're like, oh man, right now I'm at such a good place. I've just 
came back from a fast or whatever it is. I've just came out of prayer and I'm, I'm so blessed. Or, or Sunday night where we're filled with the, with the presence of God. We've worshipped God and we've loved Him. We've heard and received the Word of God. And you're just like, oh man, I'm ready for Monday. Monday comes and everything just falls apart. You know, you, you see that. I mean, like it, it happens so regularly. And in the situation that Abraham is at this moment is, is really a, a really more serious thing than just having a bad Monday. I mean, every Monday generally is a bad Monday. But, you know, he, his life has really kind of taken a left turn here. Like, you got to think upon how low you have to be in order to come to this stage, just emotionally, spiritually, mentally, you're exhausted, you're, you're drained. You, know, you, you, you think upon the, the, the stress, the pressure that comes with this, um, being unable to conceive. Look, I, I know when like, for example, just a personal level, like when my wife and I were trying to, to have our first child, it wasn't an easy thing. It was a very heart-wrenching time. It took about a year before it happened. And just, I remember recalling as I was reading this text, just recalling those that, that year or so where it was just heart-wrenching where you, you know, you, you're kind of anticipating every month to hear that good news and then you're disappointed. You know, you receive the bad news that no, it's, it's not happening and, and you're really looking forward to that. And, and so you, you kind of go for the next month and, and, and you're anticipating it and you're getting ready and excited and just to be thrown down and your heart just breaks. And I mean, that, that was a year, you know, of of doing that, imagine 10 years. Like it, it, it's of that constant emotional, just like, is it, is it happening? And they turn around like, nah, it's, it's, it's not. And so th they're falling into this deep depression, if you will. You really begin to see this couple going through this really low point and you can really empathize with them and relate with them at this moment. You know, I mean, you, you don't have to obviously be able to relate with them on that, that level, that particular level. But we've all gone through that moment where we kind of anticipate something and we're ready for something. And then and then you're let down, you're brought down and everything just kind of falls apart. You, we've all felt that where we've all felt it defeated. We've all felt it, you know, deflated and and drained and emotionally just just like, man, I'm ready. I'm, I'm just done. I'm I can't anymore. I have no more hope. I've have no more energy. I got nothing else to give. And that is such a sad place to be. To be at a place where you no longer have hope. Where there's no more hope. That is a, a dreadful place to be. And we see here that this is where these guys are. And it is there where God comes in and praise God for that. God steps in at that very moment where you feel like everything is falling apart and you've hit rock bottom at that very moment where you think, you know what, it can't get any worse. It gets worse and you're just like, man, I'm done. I have no more hope. And that's when God intervenes. 
And that's what we see in this story. And allow me just to kind of give you the structure as to what I want to cover in this chapter. Essentially four things that I want to look up with you. First of all, it's just the sin of Sarai, the sin of Abraham, and the sin of Hagar. And lastly, how God just intervenes in that situation. Those are the four things that I want to look at. So look with me, if you will, the first two verses of 16. It says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Again, this is just like a, a weird scenario um, when we come and read these two verses. But just to kind of give you a historical context as to what is going on here. Back in these days, it wasn't so uncommon for women. It was actually heard of that women were able to still conceive right up, up until the age about 60 years old. So about 60 years, there, there were still mentions of people, women that were, were able to conceive and have children at the age of 60. Now, we come to this point and Sarai is now at about, well, 75, right? And so I think like humanly speaking, we can kind of get into her own mindset at this moment where, you know, when, when she first receives the news from God, when she first receives the promise that she hears from Abraham, that God had given Abraham, you know, Abraham rushes to his wife and says, what, you know, honey, guess what? I've heard from God and God has promised me a child. And, and, and Sarai would have been excited about that and would have been awesome, fantastic. I mean, you know, she receives this promise and so she's excited. And I think humanly speaking, I think she would have been like, well, you know what? I'm 65. I've still heard people having children even up to the age of 60. So I'm like 65, like five years is not that much. It's not that far off from the 60 mark. You know, there's, there's still that hope. Right. And so there's this human hope there still where like there's still a chance that I could still maybe bear children. Yeah, I'm, you know, I can't have children, but, you know, we would disregard that. But, you know, maybe it's just one of those things. Right. You know, but but at 60. Yeah, I heard such and such. She had kids at 60 and she's, you know, I'm 65. 66 comes. Nothing. 67. 68. 69, 70, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75. At this point, you know now that there is just like humanly speaking, absolutely no chance that you are going to have a child. 60 was the latest that I've heard anyone have, have a child at 60. And I'm 75. It's, it's like you see that. God waits until that very last moment, that moment where there is absolutely no hope whatsoever, humanly speaking, where any hope or possibility that you can conceive or have a child is ripped from her, right? At 60 is the max of 75. There is just absolutely, humanly speaking, impossible. There is just no hope. 
I love that God does that. That he just absolutely takes away any possibility that you can do anything in your own strength and makes you see that it's truly only in the hands of God. And I'm so reminded of another story in the story of Lazarus. If you remember that that story when when Lazarus passes away and and Jesus waits for days. Right. And, And Jesus says the reason why he waited was so that God may be glorified in this work. Like that was the purpose behind that. Uh, that anxious way that God would be glorified through it because humanly speaking like he removes any of that human possibility of hope and he says no this is how God is going to get glory from this that he's going to yank out any possibility any any form of doubt where you're just like maybe it was just possible yeah no this is this is just purely God that is at work And we see that as well. And the similarities here is not only do we see that God does this for his glory, but you even see a similarity in Lazarus's sisters, you know, um, Mary and Martha, that they were aggravated. They were frustrated with God because he took his time. Right. And you see Sarai in that same position where she's just fed up I've heard this promise already God I've heard this already I've heard you say these things I've been hearing it for 10 years and nothing has happened something has to give and you see that this frustration and this heartache and this brokenness and this lack of hope eventually leads her to taking this really poor choice in life she goes and tells her servant maid Hagar go and sleep with my husband you have to be at a very low point to think that this is a good idea right like you've hit rock bottom I just don't care anymore I'm done I'm tired I'm exhausted I can't do this anymore. This whole, you're fishing me in with this hope of a child. And he comes and he he sits down with Abraham. By the way, I have no idea how this conversation would have gone down, right? This is just the weirdest conversation. One of the weirdest conversations you you see in scripture, right? Where where you just come and you're just like, "Uh, honey, I want to talk to you. Like, how do you start this conversation? She says to him, go and, and, and sleep with Hagar. Man, again, you see just the low point to come and consider this, where we see this suggestion clearly is adultery. Like that's what she comes to. My best solution is for you to go and commit adultery. I'm insisting you that you do that just so that I can have this just so that that this miserable state that I'm in it will eventually go away because I think that if we do this it's gonna gonna take us out from this depressive state surely this will fix our problems and as as weird of a suggestion this is by the way I just want to say this 
is that this was actually a common thing for them to do. When, when um, uh, the wife wasn't able to conceive for the husband, this was actually a very common thing where they would be like, okay, well then we'll just get it, what we call now like a, a surrogate type of you know, wife. The only difference is that they did it the old fashioned way. And that's what we see here that, that she suggests that. And so it was a custom of their culture. Like if the, the, the father of the house can't have an heir, then he will find an alternative way to find an heir. And that's what she's doing. And so we see that not only does she suggest adultery, but we see that she does this as well through this, this custom of the culture, you know, that this was culturally accepted in her society. And so we see that she kind of rationalizes this, where she's like, you know what, this is a common thing. It's, it's all good. We see it all the time. You know, our society is okay with it. Go and sleep with my servant. Though society may accept this, it is not acceptable by God. Yes, it's true that the law hadn't come into uh, play at this moment. It comes with Moses. But, but Abraham had an encounter with this holy God. He would have known the story of Adam and Eve. That Adam had one wife and, and that wife was solely for Adam. Oh, we see that they, they give in to, their, to this ridiculous suggestion. Just because it may be accepted in your culture doesn't mean that it's okay. Yeah. It's something that we need to learn. Yeah. We need to go to the Word of God. Yeah. Let's read verses 2 to 6. And let's see Abraham here. We will reread verse 2. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Again, I want to re-emphasize this where I have no idea how this conversation would have gone. You'd think naturally there would be like some sort of hesitation on the part of Abraham where he would be like, Honey, no, that's ridiculous. Like, don't be silly. Like, I would never do that. You are the apple of my eye or whatever cheesy lines <laughs> you use in those days. But whatever it was, but, the, you know, like there'll be some form of debate between the husband and the wife where they'll be like, nah, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Like, come on, that's, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. You know, I love you. But there's none of that. 
There's absolutely no backwards and forwards here. At least that's what scripture dictates to us or shows us here. Instead, what, what does the scripture say? It says that he listened to his wife. That's the equivalent of saying, okay, <laughs> if you say so. Like, right? Like, that's the, essentially saying, yes, babe, that's a really, that's the best idea that you've ever had in a long time. It doesn't even give us his response. He doesn't say anything. He just probably just nodded, just, but far out, like there's just, there's no hesitation and there's no fight. But that really, as, as funny as that is, what that really shows us is just how broken Abraham is as well. Just how, how low he is. At this moment, right now, he's just like, man, yeah, whatever. Like, I, I, I'm done. He, he's just had this encounter with God at, at, in chapter 15, where you see God's grace be manifested Right, in such a way, and, and I want to say that you see God's grace in chapter 16 too, in, in a different way. And how chapter 15's grace is applied for our lives in every day. And we're going to see that shortly. But just at this moment, he must have been at this very low point. You know, because honestly, humanly speaking, you, you would be like, what are you talking about? Don't come with me with these dumb suggestions, you know, for those who are, who are married, you know, like guys, your wife and, and when you guys get there, your wife is going to be your helper. She's going to pray for you. She's going to love you. She's going to be there for you. Um, you know, she's going to support you. She's going to build you up. But if your wife ever comes to you with something as ridiculous that is contrary to scripture, exercise your right as the head of your house at that moment and say no no we got to go to God we got to turn to the Lord for this you know I mean these guys had encountered God's work in their lives like he could have just stepped up and said what are you talking about we've seen God work in our lives we've seen how God has delivered us from danger we've seen the promises he's spoken to us I've seen him like, why are you coming to, to me with these things? And I'm reminded again of scripture of the fall. Remember, we with Adam and Eve, right? A Adam is just there, just like, kind of like, okay, babe, I'll, I'll try that apple that God said don't eat from. Like, right there, like, you know the word. You're the head of the family. And that's the point of being the head of the family, that you are held responsible for studying the word of God. And you exercise that authority, not in a, in a demeaning way, not in a, you know, a, a, a aggressive or anything like that. That's not the point. But it is in those moments where you stand your ground and say, you stand firm in the scriptures. We don't see that in Abraham. Instead, we see clearly that Abraham gives in to this. He gives in to the sin of adultery. He gives in to listening to the voice of his wife. That's not a bad thing. It's only bad when you hear her voice over God's. God had given him the promise already. And he closed his ears to that. Instead, listened to his wife, Sarai. Let's look at verse 6 and look at the situation of Hagar. Let's read verse 6 again. Uh, but Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. 
Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Just to recap as to the situation that these guys are in, like, just think about what's going on. They're in this place where they're, they're struggling with their faith. Clearly, they want a child. Sarai is desperate to have a child that she goes crazy to the point where she's like, all right, take my servant and, and, and have a child with her. Like she's at this desperate stage in her life where that's what she wants. And obviously Abraham wants that as well. And so Abraham is like, okay, let's do it. And so he, he does this Right, thinking that this solution is going to solve all their problems, that I have the solution to all problems. And so they do this and, and they get into, you know, into this mess where she conceives. Right. And so now they brought in Hagar into this situation and and everything is handy dandy now. Right. I mean, the solution, the plan worked. She conceived. She's expecting now. That's what we wanted. Right. Everyone's happy. Right. No, that's not what we see. Instead, what do we see? Things just got a whole lot worse. They just got a whole lot messier. You know, Sarai wants a child and she'll go to any measures that she would suggest another woman to sleep with her husband. Her husband is in such a state of lack of faith that at this stage, even after this ultimate high, he's now just like, you know what, I've given up. I am going to listen to you. And he commits adultery. And Hagar is probably in this position was like, wow, I'm going to be elevated, at least in, in terms of her, her standing in the household. She's a servant, but now I'm going to bear the child. Surely now, Abraham. Abraham will look upon me with greater favor, right? And so what happens now? She's conceived. And so Hagar now walks around like she owns the place. She hasn't even given birth to her son and she's already like demanding thing like, uh, you know, like, no, nah, no, nah, I have the child of, of Abraham, you know, I don't have to do all this. I don't have to do whatever you told me. And so, so this creates this conflict and Sarai's like, who the hell do you think you are? Right. So she's like, are you giving me attitude? And so she goes to Abraham and Abraham's like, man, I don't, I don't really care. She's your problem. You deal with her. Essentially, that's what happens. Like, so you have now an unhappy wife. You have an unhappy mistress and you have an unhappy husband. Like just heads up, like to those who think that having more than one woman is a good idea. Like, you know, that's what the world tells you. Clearly scripture's trying to tell you that that is a bad idea. You have Abraham in between two women and he's so depressed right now. He's just like at that point where he's just like, nah, it's your problem. Like Hagar, I imagine was thinking to herself, well, maybe Abraham's going to care for me more, love me more. If anything, that shows you that man, no, that's just not the case. You know, a lot of women do that. Where they're like, if I give in to this, maybe he'll love me more. That's not the reality. You see that if anything, Abraham was just even, it revealed his lack of love to her even more. So what does he say to, what does he say to his wife? He says, you deal with her. Like you're the boss. Deal with her. And so how does she treat Hagar? 
Harshly. The word therefore harshly is actually the same word that is used in, in the Old Testament when, when the Israelites go into Egypt and they fall under the slavery of Egypt. They were treated harshly. They were treated like slaves. And so that's that same word that is used for this moment. The way that Sarai begins to uh, treat Hagar is is viciously almost. Then you can just imagine. I mean, this poor lady, she would have been a lot younger than, than Sarai, obviously, just tr- mistreating her. And verbally, I don't think he, she would have hit her or anything like that, but I don't know. You know, back in those days, it was a bit more rough. But you could just imagine the things that she would have said. You're nobody. You're my servant. That child is not even yours. That's my property. Back in those days, the slaves were their property. By right, like what are you, what are you bragging about? I own you and your child. Like she's just mistreating her to the point where all these things are just kind of flooding in her head, where she's like taking in all this abuse from her boss, and and she probably turns to Abraham and says, "Are you gonna let her do this?" And and Abraham would have just been like, put his head down and look away. Not my problem. I mean, this was the great plan, all right? This was the solution. This was the solution to our problems. We're going to fix it. And this is what it's come to. She comes to a point where Hagar just can't take it anymore. She's like, all right, I'm in this position now. These guys wanted a kid. I'm now pregnant with, with Abraham's kid. They want it so bad. But they keep on mistreating me. Abraham's not doing nothing. She's mistreating me. I might as well leave. Bye bye to your kid. And that's what she does. And scripture tells us that she leaves and she, she abandons her home. And she goes and, and travels from, from where Abraham was into to her home in Egypt. It was about a six day hike. So this pregnant woman just picks up her bag or whatever it is. Walks to Egypt. And it says that she gets to about uh, shore. That's not that far from her her homeland. And again, we see that God acts in that same way, like right at the end when you're just about, like why not right when she left? Like, you know what I mean? But right at the end when you're almost home, the the, the Lord's angel appears before her. But you just begin to see how God works. God just wants to strip you away from all of that human strength where where you think, "I I can do this on my own. God's like, nah, you can't. Sometimes we need to go to that breaking point before we begin to see God, God's hand in our lives. And when we are just hopeless, and that's when we begin to see God break through. So what was her solution? Her big solution, her, her big solution was to leave the house of Abraham where God was working, where God was, was speaking. Like uh, uh, if you recall a few moments back, few series back rather we're considering just how Abraham would have been this minister to his family she she was at that house where where God was manifesting himself she would have been aware of the tent where God revealed that promise to Abraham Abraham would have been the one that was would be sharing that promise because you can't imagine Abraham receiving God 
promise or having an encounter with God and not share that with the rest of his family. You can't picture that. So obviously Abraham would have been like to everyone, I've seen God, I've spoken to God and she would have been encouraged by this. She would have been receiving that daily ministry from Abraham and it's come to a point, such a low point that she no longer sees God there anymore. She's like, I, you know what? I'm done. I'm walking away. Even if I, if, if I did once see that, I no longer want to be a part of that anymore. And she walks away, unhappy. She abandons her post. She abandons that place where God had put her in, where God was speaking and moving. Let's look at 7 to 15 and we'll close up. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I love that when you just kind of ask that question. Obviously, he knows, but he wants her to confess that. Where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Praise God. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. And his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kindred men, uh, kinsmen, sorry. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And therefore the well was called Bir Lai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barat. And Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. So what we see here in this moment and what is amazing is that God's grace is evident in the servant girl. Humanly speaking, she was kind of like considered a nobody. He meets this, this woman here. At this time where she has just been hearing all that Sarai had to say, all that negative things that she would have been uh, exposed to. You're nobody. You're just a slave. Who do you, what do you think you're going to be? You become a queen? You're nothing but a servant. You are my property. That child is my child. You're nothing. You're nobody. And here we see that she's having an encounter with the Lord. Praise God for that. Like, you know, it, it, it's something that reminds us that you don't have to be a superstar preacher. You don't have to be a great, the greatest leader out there. You, you can meet with God. Like that is something that Christ has given us. And, and, and we see Christ's grace here that he comes to that meek servant. At that lowest point. And his message to her is simple. Remember, return and resubmit. Remember, return and resubmit. Remember your position. Remember, 
who you are. You are that. That you are the servant. That's where I've placed you. You are the servant of Sarai. I placed you there. You are there because I want you to be there. And so he instructs and says, return back there. Go back home. That is where I am. That is where I'm speaking. That is where I've revealed myself. My grace is there. I need you to go back there. And what's the other thing that he says to her? Resubmit. Submit to her. You mean the lady that has been just torturing me? Yes. Resubmit to her. God comes in this time again in that lowest point where she's just been mistreated. And she, you see again where she's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going to abandon. I'd rather just go. And she's almost home. You can just think the way she's thinking. I'll just start all over again. It doesn't matter. I'll have a fresh start. And God comes and stops and says, no, this is not what I wanted for you. Return. And so she returns. And usually what we think upon at this moment is, all right, God is, is going to fix everything. Everything's going to be good. She returns. And things don't necessarily improve. We see here that, that things don't get better. You're right now at this point, you're like, oh man, I'm ready for the good news. The good news is you're going back and it's just going to stay the same. You're going to go through that struggle. But that's where I want you to be. But what the heck would make a woman go, you know what? Why am I going to go back to that place and be mistreated? I could just I literally one more day and I'm there in Egypt and I can start fresh. Then this child will be mine. I don't have to give it back to Sarai and Abraham. They're the worst bosses ever. I can stick it to them, right? And, and have my own life, build my own life. What is it that makes her go, okay, you know what? I will go back and I will endure. What is it that makes someone do that? May I say to you that it is this encounter where she sees and realizes she has this encounter with the God who sees and I don't know if your translation has a little like indicator there that tells you that there's another translation of that verse. The other translation is the God who sees me. You're the God who sees me. That was enough for her to be like, you actually see me? Like you ever go through that, that, that stage where you just feel like, man, I'm no one. I have no impact. I, no one cares about me. No one cares about those hours or days or nights where I've poured my eyes out because of this pain that I have in my heart. Yeah. Where you feel like you're rubbish and you're nothing. And she has this encounter. She, she sees that he, he knows my name. You know who I am, where I come from and where I'm going. That was enough for her to be like, if you know this about me, then I will turn back. Even if it means I'm going to have to put up with a lot of crap. 
Even if it means I'm still going to hear those negative things. Even if it means I'm still going to be mistreated. Even if it means it's not what I want or what I had planned for my own life. But the fact that you see me is enough. I want to ask you, church, knowing that God sees you, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you to stay where you are? Even if it means you're going to go through struggles, even if it means you're going to cry sometimes. Is that enough for you? A lot of the times when we start feeling that pain, that itch, that struggle where this is getting too much, we become like like Sarai, we become like Abraham, we become like Hagar, where we come up with our own solutions. Where we're like, all right, you know what? I'm bailing, I'm done. I'm going to do my own thing. We come up with our own solutions, but what the reality is, is that those solutions are more than anything sins that we commit. Because we go contrary to what God says. Sarai was like, I can't have a kid. She pushes her husband to commit adultery. Abraham's like, I can't have a kid. Well, I'm going to commit adultery. Hagar is like, you know what? I know that you're, you're here, God. And these guys are mistreating me, but I'm going to bail anyways. I mean, on top of the fact that she was a part of that adultery as well. Sometimes our solutions become our sins and it's all because of this one thing we we don't consult or wait on God because we become like these people where knowing that God is in control is sometimes not enough for us I don't want us to come with the help of God and his spirit to come to that place of Hagar where we're like God, just knowing the fact that you're in control. Right now I'm in misery. Right now I'm in heartache. Right now I've hit rock bottom. But I know that you're with me even if I feel like crap right now. We see that God intervenes in the life of Abraham and Sarai. And especially Hagar here. Where we see that God comes through. That God's mercy and grace is made evident. That covenant of chapter 15, where God says, even if you fail me, I'm not going to fail you. And clearly we see that in Abraham and Sarai. They failed God, but God still comes through for us. God still loves us. God comes and, and intervenes in our lives. You know, that, that contract that, in, in, that we saw in chapter 15 was generally it would be the two parties both walk through. If one of them breaks that contract, well, that's what's going to happen. The result is wrath. It's, it's death. And we see that God goes through it. Essentially showing you that, mate, you may fail me, but I won't fail you. And we see that come through that grace in effect in chapter 16. God is so good. God is so gracious. It doesn't matter what you were going through. Know that God is a God who sees you. Amen. Let's close our eyes in prayer. Father, we want to thank you, God, for your message and the love that you show in this portion. Father, we give you glory and honor.
We thank you, Lord, for the example of Abraham. We thank you, Lord, for the example of Sarai. Uh, we thank you for the example of Hagar, Lord God. These are negative examples, Lord God, and yet we see the positive only in you. We see the failure of these three, but we see how you never fail us, Lord God. We see how time and time again we, we, we drop in faith. But even if we do, you come and you visit us and you once again, in such a gentle and loving way, you come and restore us. You see that there are moments we see that, that there are moments where we feel like the worst. We feel like crap. And yet you come and intervene and show us that you are good. Where, we're, where we've reached a point where we just have no more hope. That's when you step in and you show us that there is only hope in you. And Lord, I just pray that you would remind the church of this truth, Lord God. That you would remind us, Lord God, that you are with us, Lord God. And that though we may fail you, you will never fail us, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that knowing that you are with us, knowing that you see us, is a truth that is more than enough for us to continue in our walk with you. That we won't abandon our post, that we won't leave you. But even if we do, Lord, we see here just... As we saw, Lord, in the parable of Jesus, that you would leave the 99 to go get that one. And Lord, we just want to thank you and rejoice in your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.